Turn with me if you would. We're going to be going to a number of different scriptures today, but turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Kings, chapter 20. 2 Kings, chapter 20. And I'm going to preach a little bit of a different message this morning than what I am used to. Um, and uh, the title of this message is called Weeping Warriors. Weeping Warriors. There are times in our lives as believers that we run into great difficulty and struggle and trouble. Uh, and in that trouble, we find ourselves succumbing and being overcome by the emotion of our pain and our situation. I know uh, that there are times where as we go through those things, there is this thought in the back of our heads, but that's not faith. But I want to let you know today that faith does not ignore your humanity, nor does faith ignore the fact that God created you with emotion created you with things that are to be touched by Him, used by Him, and sometimes those emotions and those things that we often go through come out in a very raw way that God is not shocked by. I, I am amazed that we, you know, we, we read the Scriptures and we think that we have to be these kinds of uh, spiritual robots, that you only have one thing that you say, and that's it, that's all you say, you know, to somehow let people know that you're getting by, that everything is all right, and that you are a man or a woman of faith. But I want to let you know today that there are different places in Scripture that we see what I call weeping warriors. Weeping warriors. This first place and this first individual that we're going to talk about in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 20, and verse 3, is about a man by the name of Hezekiah, who out of all of the kings in, let me just say this about him, out of all the kings in the Old Testament that we read about, Hezekiah probably was one of those individuals who was most like his ancestor David was most like David in the way that he went after God, in the way that he sought after the Lord and wanted to please God. He was the most like his father David. But then news came, and let me just start reading at verse 1 of this chapter. The Bible says, in those days, Hezekiah, became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you are going to die and will not recover. Listen to what it says. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, O Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. 
Hezekiah was a man of faith. He was a man who followed after God with all of his heart. We read about some of the things that Hezekiah did, and you can take time to read that later. Just go back a a chapter or two and begin to pick up and see what it was that this man Hezekiah did. He honored God probably more than any other king before him or after him. And he honored God with everything that he had. He pleased God. He loved God. And now all of a sudden, this guy is getting a death sentence. You say, well, that's not really fair. It's kind of like the Christian who has served God all their lives. And they go into the doctor only to find you have this stage of cancer and I'm giving you about six months to live. And they walk out of the doctor's office knowing that their life is short. I want you to see what Hezekiah does. Even before the weeping, even before the crying happens, here is what this man, this warrior of the kingdom did. He began to pray and seek God with all of his heart. He says, remember, O Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully in wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. He called upon God. He cried out to God. The problem came. The problem happened to him. And he couldn't control it. There are times in our lives where things happen to us as Christians and we can't control what happens. It just happens. It comes to us and we think that somehow we've done something wrong. You know, we're searching deep down on the inside. Maybe one of Job's friends shows up at your house and said, what'd you do? How bad were you? You got to think now, go back a little bit and just think about what you've done in your past that has brought this on. You know what I'm going to say today? Get out of here, Job's comforters. You don't know what you're talking about. Thank God we don't see this in this passage at all. All we see is we see Isaiah the prophet showing up saying, listen, get your house in order. This is the word of the Lord. You're going to die. And this man begins to call on the God. He calls on the Lord and he begins to cry out to the Lord and say, God, please, you've got to come and you've got to change the situation. You've got to minister to me and my help. But in the middle of all of that, the Bible says that he wept bitterly. I want you to see how raw that is. My question to you is when was the last time that you just kind of you know, sat there and just begin to weep because of the pain and the struggle. You got somebody in the back of your head telling you, oh, you can't do that. No, no, that's not what a victorious Christian looks like. That's not what a victorious believer does. I want to tell you, these men were probably more victorious than anybody you've ever heard in your life. And yet some of them succumbed to that raw emotion of life because pain hurts, folks. When trouble comes, what are you going to do? Well, I want to tell you what this man does is he prays and then he weeps. Most of us weep and hope we make it to the prayer. Right? Now, I'm not saying you got to put it in that order. I Believe me, I'm not suggesting today that somehow it's got to be that and I'm teaching this new revelation kind of principle. And I, don't, don't go off on that, please. This is not what this is about, but I just find it interesting that he prayed and then wept bitterly. 
He called on the Lord, but then he realized what it was that he was faced with, and he realized it hurt. Brothers and sisters, there are times in our lives where life hurts, and just because you're a believer does not necessarily mean you got to stand there and make everybody believe that you're just in victory, that everything is good. Every now and then, I think we got to just show our, our, our pain a little bit. Every now and then, you're bleeding. Don't cover it up. Let somebody know you're bleeding. You're hurting. Let somebody know you're hurting. Stop pretending. We got to, listen, one of the problems in church is we got liars in church. We got liars. How you doing, bro? Praise God. Ah, wonderful. Victorious. But what he's not telling you is he just lost his job five days ago and doesn't know how he's going to pay his mortgage or his bills. Oh, but he's speaking in faith. Well, he might be. But i got to tell you right now, on the inside of you, there's pain. You know what? The Bible tells us to weep with those who weep, to mourn with those who mourn, to, to get around those who are hurting, get around those who are having struggles and troubles. And sometimes we can't do that. We're lying to each other all the time. Now, I'm not saying you go up to everybody and say, I'm, I'm hurting, come over here. I'm hurting, come over here, come, come to me. Make, we make it all about us. That's another part of the problem. But I'm saying here today, is every now and then when the weeping comes and you can't stop it, it's all right to just let, let the church know that there's some pain going on so the church can be the church and come up under you and help you and strengthen you and give you what you need in that hour to keep you moving forward. God has a plan for your life and God had a plan for uh, Hezekiah's life as well. In the midst of his pain. And we're, we're not going to take the time to read it. But he prays. All of a sudden, God says to Isaiah, go back. Go back and talk to Hezekiah. Tell him I'm adding 15 more years to his life. Oh, hallelujah. 15 more years. He wanted God to change the situation. Now, there are a lot of varying opinions about those 15 years and what happened. But within that 15-year period, we see Hezekiah start to slip just a little. We have to be incredibly careful what we ask for. You see, because Hezekiah made a, not a, a kingdom mistake, he made a, a fleshly political mistake during those 15 years. Envoys from Babylon came at some point in the future, came to Judah, came to Jerusalem. All of a sudden, Hezekiah is just so thankful and so proud of all the treasures that were hidden in the temple, that were there in the, the temple in Jerusalem. He swings the doors wide open for these Babylonian envoys, a.k.a. spies. He swings the doors wide open and shows them all the treasury of the temple. And do you know where that treasury was some years later carted away to? Babylon. When the people of Judah went into Babylonian captivity, 
They plundered the temple and carried it away. We cry and we weep, God, spare me, spare me, spare me. And yet it could be that somehow God is sparing us in the devastation from further devastation. I'm just saying, folks. I'm just saying. I'm not here telling you today that what you're going through, that, listen, don't, don't pray and don't ask God for deliverance and don't ask God for help. I'm not saying that today. All I'm saying is this, is when you begin to weep and you begin to cry, know this, that God has your attention, that God cares very much about you. And when you pray, don't presume to know what, you, what God ought to do in your life. Don't tell God how it is that God ought to act in your situation. But instead say, Lord, you are sovereign. You are over my life. I'm going to trust my life into your hands. And whatever your choice is, Lord, I'm going to commit it to you. I'm going to give it to you and I'm going to surrender all to you. I'm not going to tell you what to do because you are all wise. You are God. He gave in to the raw emotion of life. And brothers and sisters, I got to tell you that God understands that. He cares about that. And God came and he responded to his pain. God will always respond to your pain. He will always respond. He will always come into your situation and bring comfort and bring help and bring, bring in your difficult situation to bring peace and bring about a resolution that will help you to keep moving forward. God is not looking to bury anybody. He is looking to help you to move forward in him. Now, the next guy we want to talk about, go if you would, to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 13. We see a different kind of weeping warrior with Jeremiah. The first one had to do with just the pain of life, something that we're all familiar with. But Jeremiah was a different kind of a weeping warrior. He was, has been known to be called the weeping prophet. And there are a couple of reasons that he wept. First one that we're going to look at, we're just going to see in Jeremiah 13 and verse 17. The Bible says this, Jeremiah 13 and verse 17. He says, but if you do not listen, I will weep in secret because of your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly, overflowing with tears. Now here's why. Because the Lord's flock will be taken captive. Jeremiah was a man who wept for a nation that had failed God and was going to be taken captive. We look around us in this country and we think that somehow in November we're going to fix it. I don't care what your political bent is or how you vote or how you think you're going to vote or whatever it is that you think these, either of these guys are going to do for this country. I want you to, I want to just serve notice to all of you today that I want to tell you that no man can change what's wrong with this country. Because what's wrong with this country is not the health care problem. It's not the social issues. It is a sin problem. And there is only one who can change that. And his name is Jesus. But Jeremiah looked out over, this, over the nation and he wept. He cried because 
He knew the answer was not going to be in some kind of puppet king. He knew the answer was not going to be in who was sworn into office. He knew the only answer was that God would come down and show up and that eventually there would be a remnant that would come back. He wept over his nation that it was in such dire straits. You know what? we we got to be careful, folks, that we don't get so selfish in our lifestyles that we fail to feel the pain of the nation, that we fail to feel that what God is looking at is what we ought to be looking at, that we fail to understand that what God sees is what we need to be concerned about as Christians. He wept over the nation. He says this because the the Lord's flock will be taken captive. It's an amazing thing. You know me. I have talked in the past about, you know, politics from the pulpit and how it is that I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm more annoyed by politics than anything. The answer is not politics, folks. As Christians in this country... We have gotten to the point where, in some cases, we are more hopeful about our guy, whoever our guy will be, our guy getting in office, than we are about whether or not we can pray through the situation. We are more hopeful in a man than we are God. And you know what? I I look at Jeremiah and I see this is a dangerous thing that as believers, we become more hopeful about who will take office in November or in January when they're sworn in and the inauguration takes place. We are more hopeful about that than we are about the God that we serve. Brothers and sisters, right now, I want to tell you what we ought to be doing is we ought to be praying like Jeremiah was praying and saying, I'm going to weep bitterly over this nation because this nation is being scattered. This nation is being held captive by sin, not by politics. Go to Lamentations chapter 1. Lamentations 1 and verse 16. Not only did he weep over a nation that was going to be taken captive, But he wept because of the enemy's seeming victory over God's people. Seemed like the devil won. It seemed like Babylon had its final say and that nothing else was going to happen. Listen to what he says in Lamentations 1 and verse 16. This is why I weep and my eyes overflow with tears. No one is near to comfort me. No one to restore my spirit. My children are destitute because the enemy has prevailed. When I look around and see how it is that in our streets we are worried about gun violence. You know, my wife and I used to live in Evanston. She works in Evanston. You know, we know Bobby and Nancy, they live there. And, you know, we... We know, we know where things are. You know that in some streets in the city you drive down, you fear for your life. But, you know, the, where that street in, on Dodge, it's, you know, you drive down, you don't feel like you're going to fear for your life. We look around and see the violence we see, and we think that somehow the enemy has won. That the enemy is in control. Brothers and sisters, I want to tell you that as believers, our work cannot stop. 
that our prayer cannot stop, that we need to learn, God, let it be upon my heart. Let me see what you see. Let me feel what you feel. And if it brings me to the point of tears, let me weep for the country and the city and the nation and the neighborhood that I am in. Let me weep for it. I'm not trying to stand here and suggest, well, hey, Pastor, I don't weep. I'm not, the, I'm not a crier. Neither am I. You know, some of us, we, you know, it takes a whole lot. You can pinch me and pinch me. <laughs> I will not cry. I'll say, I'll not slap you upside the head for doing it, but I won't cry. You know, you're not given to that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this, this kind of a, a, a holy weeping. This, this something that's on the inside that maybe tears don't come out, but there is something deep down on the inside of you that says, God, I'm so desperate for this to change. It looks like the enemy has had his way. It looks like the devil has sold us a bill of goods and we've bought it with everything that we have and we've got nothing in return. God, help me to weep over that kind of a situation. I want you to take to the, go to the New Testament. And we're going to see three people here that have wept. There are, there are so many others. That we, there are others in the Bible that we could talk about. But I want, to, I want to just close with these three. The Bible says this in Luke. Go to Luke chapter 19. Luke 19. Verses 41. And 42. And we see a similar kind of weeping over a city that came from none other than the heart of Jesus. We see Jesus looking out over the city of Jerusalem as he had just entered the, the triumphal entry on that first Palm Sunday. Listen to what the Bible says. In verse, 19, verse 41 of chapter 19, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. Here's why. And said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. If you, even you, had only, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. Brothers and sisters, we work with people who need to know that there is peace that can be found in Christ. We come in contact with individuals who need to know that there is peace through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That in the midst of the turmoil of life and in the midst of pain and struggle and problems and difficulty, that there still can be a peace that passes all understanding that will guard our hearts and our minds. And we need to look out over this city and say, Lord, let me understand how much you really care and how great your peace is and realize that my work is not done. Jesus looked out over the city of Jerusalem and the Bible says he wept. 
And ultimately it was because he saw that they did not get what it was that he came to do. He came to bring them peace. He came, he, he was their peace, and yet they rejected him. They pushed him away. Ah, I don't need God. I don't need Jesus. I don't need what God has to offer. And there are people today who are running and they are trying to find some kind of peace and can't find it. And you and I sit here and we know what it is. God, help us to reach out to a lost and a dying world that like Jesus, we would learn to weep over the city that we live in because there are so many who need to know the peace of God. I want to tell you that the peace of God will be there to help any individual who will open up their hearts to him and give their lives to him. There is peace found in no other. There is peace found in no other situation, in no other pursuit in life. The peace of God can only come from God, but they can only receive it when they know about him. And that, brothers and sisters, falls on us. Go now to Matthew 26. Matthew 26 and verse 75. We're going to see somebody else who wept. And this is an important kind of weeping. Because this is a weeping over our failure. I'm not talking about a weeping in the sense where you cry but nothing changes. That's just you know, being sorry. I'm talking about repentance. And the repentance that we find in this man's life was real and it was right and it was good. But Peter was an individual who failed miserably. Jesus knew that he was going to. Aren't you glad that Jesus knows when we're going to fail? Aren't you glad he's not shocked by anything that we do or have done in the past? There isn't anything that you have ever done that Jesus will look at and say, you know, I just didn't know that. Absolutely nothing. He knows every failure. He knows all about it. And you know what? He's got it covered. He knows how to restore. But I want you to see Peter's reaction when he realized what it was that he had done. Jesus earlier in the day had had a conversation with Peter. And Peter had said, listen, Jesus, I will die for you. I will go, I will just, you know, I'll be there with you every step of the way. And Jesus said, you know what, before this day is over, you are going to deny that you know me three times. Not just one time, three times. You're going to, oh, no, not me, Jesus. I'll go to prison with you. It won't be me. Oh, no, thank you. No, that's not me. You got the wrong guy. Here we are at the end. Three times, Peter denies. Verse 75. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. I want you to understand this for a minute because there are times in our lives where we just sort of glibly pass over our failures and our sins. Yes, I said sins. Because on occasion, as even as a believer, you sin. You give in to sin. And we kind of pass over and say, ah, no big deal. Thank God for grace. Whoo, grace. 
Grace is wonderful, but brothers and sisters, grace is not a license to keep doing the same nonsense you have done before. It is not a license for you to keep on doing the same junk and going to the same places and having the same situations as you had before. That's not what grace is for. But the Bible says here that that Peter went out and he wept bitterly. He realized, Jesus, you were right. You were right. And the Bible says that his heart was broken. He was torn apart on the inside. This big old fisherman who was known for putting his foot in his mouth and being a man who always just said the wrong thing at the wrong time. And just but every now and then had flashes of greatness. He was just all, he was so torn apart. The Bible says he went out and he wept bitterly. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know today that how God looks at your sin and my sin when we give in to sin, we don't have to, by the way, but we do from time to time. How he looks at it is he is heartbroken. We need to share the same kind of heartbreak over our failures. I'm not talking about to the point where we're paralyzed and we don't come to God for forgiveness. You see, the wonderful news is in Mark chapter 16, we see Jesus saying to the, after he had risen from the grave, we see Jesus saying to the women that he was talking to, go into, you know, into Galilee and tell my disciples and Peter. He tagged on that and Peter to let Peter know that, look, I'm not mad at you. I want to restore you. We see in John, in the book of John 21, we talked about it recently, about following Jesus, how Peter was reinstated. and, And he, you know, Jesus said, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Three times, because three times he denied him. Three times, do you love me? Yes, Jesus. Oh, I love you. There is hope, brothers and sisters. But I want to let you know if you find yourself in a place today where you've given into sin, I want you to know that there is a holy weeping that can happen in your life that will bring about a change and bring about a hope. And brothers and sisters, God is not in the business of putting you under His foot. He is in the business of raising you up and restoring you to life in Him. He wants to restore you. Peter went out and he wept bitterly. It was the beginning of something great in his life. It was the beginning of that repentance, that reinstatement that was going to happen just a a few days later, sometime after Jesus had risen from the the grave. Jesus was going to restore this man. And you know the amazing thing about it is the denier stood up and was the man who preached the sermon on the day of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit was poured out in his life, he didn't go back to denying. He wasn't cowering in a corner anymore, but instead the Holy Spirit empowered this man to boldly stand up, and he was the only disciple on that day. Well, there had to be just one voice anyway. Can't be many preachers standing up here preaching. We'd all be confused. Wouldn't get anything out of it. But he stood up, and he was the guy that opened up the kingdom to those who were there. Why? Because... He understood that when he gave in to sin, he had to do something about it. And the start was he just simply wept over his failure. Brothers and sisters, sometimes it starts with the tears. Sometimes it starts with those tears. There's one final person over in Philippians chapter 3. Paul shares 
about those who once walked with the Lord and now are enemies of the cross, how it affected him. When I hear about people who maybe once attended this church or another church and hear today that they're not attending any church, you hear that they're not going anywhere, that they don't serve the Lord, they're not serving God, they're far away from the Lord, and yet maybe you remember where they were. You remember how they served. I've known people in this church over the years that they have served in this body. They've been a part of us. They've been a part of the work here and, and moving it forward and keeping it going. Now all of a sudden, somewhere they're lost in the city. They're not going to church anywhere. They're lost. They're doing their own thing, living their own way, doing their own thing. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 3, 17 and 18. He says, join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. That many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Brothers and sisters, I cannot tell you how Paul was, was feeling in this moment. Paul wasn't looking at individuals who had bailed out on him and now are in the world saying, well, you know what, they better watch it. You know, sometimes we get this vindictive kind of attitude as though, you know, I hope God just judges them. Shame on us. Paul says, I tell you with tears with weeping that they are now enemies of the cross. I'm not out there saying, God, you better get them. You do what you got to do. You know how they served with me. And now look at where they are, the beasts. He doesn't do that. The Bible says, he says, I tell you even with tears that they're enemies of the cross. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know today that God has a plan in store for every life, whether this person has never come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and they are in the city hopelessly lost, never hurting, heard about Jesus, or if it's somebody who once followed the Lord and now they've been doing their own thing. God still has a plan and God wants us as believers to learn how to cry out to Him for them and on their behalf. We might look and say, well, it's hopeless. I don't think anything is going to happen. But I want to tell you, the more we begin to weep on their behalf, the more we begin to intercede on their behalf, God can come down and change the hardness and break through the sin that's in their lives. And He can bring a hope and He can bring a future for them and He can change them and revive them and bring about a wonderful and mighty salvation. Oh, you know what? We, we get so, we get too wrapped up in where we are. We get too wrapped up in our own little lives. I was reminded this morning as I talked to Nancy how short life is. I was reminded today how in an instant your life can be snuffed out. I could be gone in an instant. We don't know what tomorrow holds and yet we're so wrapped up in the little fine tuning of our lives to hope. You know, somehow we're trying to eke out a little bit of happiness. You know what? There are people who are lost today. There are people who are on their way to hell. I don't know what the state of this young man was who was shot. I don't know the condition of his heart. It's not for me to judge. But I know this. 
I know that he went into eternity. He has gone into eternity. And brothers and sisters, we need to be concerned not just about our young people, not just about our our little church here. We need to be concerned about the grander scheme, the greater thing, the world, the, the city that we live in. We need to be concerned. I'm grateful that for the last, I don't know how many years you've been doing it, praying for the persecuted church. But that there are those who take time at the last Sunday of each month and they go downstairs and they pray for brothers and sisters around the world to, that God would just somehow bring about a change and deliver them and help them and sustain them however God chooses to do it in their persecution. That on Tuesday nights we come together and we pray for those who are lost and those who are without hope. Week after week, names are listed all the way down one little prayer sheet. Just a list of names. But we know what it's about. We know that it's for their salvation, for their healing, for God to do great things in their lives. And there has to be within us this desire to say, God, this is not just an ordinary request. This is worth weeping over. God, help us. God has to help us not to be so cold, not to be so uncaring, not to be so uncompassionate. The Bible says that in the last days, the love of many will wax cold or grow cold. The King James says wax. I like that analogy because, you know, you can melt wax down. It drips and it's hot. You can mold it. You can shape it. But when you put just a little bit of cool air to that wax, it becomes hard. And sometimes that's how we are in our lives. We're too hard. God wants to keep us soft as believers. He wants to keep our hearts soft so that when we hear about situations, we can, we, can, we can feel the pain of somebody else. When we hear about a Hezekiah, we don't come and judge them and say, well, you've got to have faith, brother. It's so easy to say that. When you're, not, when you're not the one in pain, it's so easy to say, well, just have faith. But when you're hurting, and you're trying to believe. And you're, you're just saying, God, I'm hanging on to you, but this hurts. And the, my, it hurts. Then what they need is they need somebody to come up alongside of them and say, let me pray. I'm not going to say anything. I just, I'm going to pray. Don't pray over the sin in their life. Don't pray over the, you know, all the things that you think they did that got them into the situation. Don't do that. But just love them and help them and encourage them. You know why? Because God cares about what they're going through. There were some weeping warriors in the Bible, and their weeping was totally in place. It was right. It was important. And you know what? God has, and these are all different situations. I'm not going to take the time to go through every one again, but it was right for them to weep over those situations that they found themselves weeping over. I wonder today if we just bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment.